Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. This week in uh, prayer, just as we're coming into Vision Offering Sunday, felt God lay this passage upon my heart. Also, for those of you who have been preparing to give to our Vision Offering, we you're under no compulsion, as we've said over the last four Sundays of Vision Month, but we are believing that God has been laying upon your heart as He has been ours, uh, something to contribute to our vision offering. And there is a vision offering card that you should have got as you walked in today. And maybe if you haven't got that, the end of our service, there will be time for you to grab a hold of that, fill in the details. One of the ways that we can properly steward the resources or the pledged amount that is going to be given to our vision offering each year is by having that card filled in and put into our offering boxes that will be there at the end of our message so that we can uh, prepare for what is to come uh, this year. So make sure that you just prepare yourself to do that or online after this service. Exodus 35 verse 4, we're reading about a fascinating encounter between God's people and the Spirit of God and Moses as the leader of the congregation of the people of Israel. Verse four says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins. Now, if any goat's hair appears in the offering box today, we'll... We'll be praying. Uh, but goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Down to verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Down to verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then over into chapter 36, verse 3, we see the result of this giving. It says, And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing. And said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had 
was sufficient to do all the work and more. What a fascinating passage of Scripture that literally the people of God had to be restrained in their act of worship of giving because the church had more than enough. I want to speak to you today on that topic, more than enough. Now, 50 years ago, President JFK uh, in the United States declared, we choose to go to the moon in this decade, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And $483 billion later, the whole world has been irrevocably changed. Breakthroughs that we have in medical technology, the computer that you work on, breakthroughs in aviation, came out of a vision and a decision to put a man on the moon. And in the process, the whole world has been impacted by that decision. And when it comes to spiritual things and when it comes to our relationship with God, you know you're on the precipice of a move of God when He asks you to do something you can't do in your own strength. If you can achieve vision in your own strength, then maybe it's time to dream again. Maybe it's time to get on God's page and to dream God's dream for our lives because I'm sure you've discovered God has a habit of asking us to do things we can't do in our own strength. From Genesis to Revelation, there is story after story of God coming to individuals like Noah and asking him to build a boat to save a remnant of God's people to restart humanity. And over a hundred years, this one man built according to the blueprint and the vision that God had given to him. God comes to Father Abraham and he, he says, you're gonna be the father of many nations when he wasn't the father of anyone. And his body wasn't working and his wife was barren and yet God came and asked him to become something prophetically he could not do in his own strength. The Bible goes on, Moses to be a deliverer of God's people after 400 years of bondage and slavery. Joshua to blow the trumpet, march around the walls of Jericho and shout and the walls would come tumbling down as if that was just a rational, logical thing to do. Then there's the story of Gideon and God says, you've got too many with you lest you should boast and glory in your own efforts and actions. And he says, take 300 to fight an army of tens of thousands of people. You see, God has a habit of coming to every single one of us in our lives and calling us and asking us to do things we can't do in our own strength, but that is so you won't boast in your flesh and your power, but that you'll boast in the arm of the Lord. And so we've got to understand that this is God's way of operating. So when God comes to us and lays something on our hearts to give, calls us to step out and start a ministry, a church, a business, to begin to move forward in what God has for us, He has a purpose, a destiny, an outcome in mind that will only be achieved as you partner with the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and so are my thoughts. And so if God's ways are going to become our ways, we need to begin to think like God. And one of the ways we think like God is we see His vision for our lives and our future. As God has a vision for your life and your future, what He wants you to walk in. He also downloads prophetic vision for His church. The only thing that He's building on the planet is His church. 
And when you and I plant ourselves in the house and we align our own lives and resources and families and purposes and destiny, we become a part of what God is building for all eternity. And so as God has given us a vision personally, He's also giving this church a vision corporately. We've got to see what God sees because His vision represents His thought, His intention for us as a church. You see, the vision God's given to us isn't man-made, it's Holy Spirit-inspired. I love what Moses said to the people of Israel. He said, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. He didn't say, this is what I've just come up with on a day off and I just had a random, vague imagination and here you go, here's a good idea. He said, this is the thing that God has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. What was Moses doing? He was acknowledging that the tabernacle, the building of the tent of meeting, Israel's place of worship to to the King of kings and Lord of lords was God's idea, not man's. Prophetic vision is never created in a vacuum. It actually is conceived through a Holy Spirit encounter that your spirit has with God's spirit. It is not something that you can just sketch out on a piece of paper as a good idea. It's something that is birthed out of the overflow of an intimate relationship with Jesus. And over the last four weeks, we've seen and heard God's vision for our future. We've talked about how God has called us to go and plant 200 Newman churches across four global hubs that carry a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. We shared about all of the different God encounters that led up to us casting that vision. We talked about how over the last 95 years, God has already through this house planted 150 churches and now He's saying, I want to do more because I build from glory to glory and generation to generation. We've heard about how Numa Hobart is calling us, that God is calling us to go this year, later this year, and plant a Numa location in the city of Hobart, just like we have opened up in the city of Perth. We've, we've heard about how our global mission ministry of Disciple the Nations is now aligned with our one core vision that God has given to us as a church, with all of our global mission partners all across the earth advancing God. God's kingdom at the front line. We've talked about how it's time for us to go and secure and lease a venue at our West location and to fill that venue up and to see God's kingdom come in the Western suburbs of our city. And already we have a West location, but it's time to get them a house. We've talked about the importance in our second year of Numa College, continuing to sow into the future of all that God is building there. We've talked about revival conference and all that God is going to do through the wider body of Christ through this ministry. And in just a week's time, we're launching our Numa Care app, which is all about promoting our local engagement with our communities. I'm telling you, God has been speaking to us in this season and not just in this season, but in seasons before. We shared over the last few weeks a prophecy where what took 10 years would take one year, what took 50 years would take five years. 
And as for me and my house, it's time to set our sail to the wind of the Holy Spirit and to go where God is sending us. And you and I are a part of that. We all have a role to play if God has planted us here and God has arranged the members of the body here, then you and I have a part to play in what God is about to do. You see, what God offers, He perfects through our generous partnership. And we see this in the life of Israel in this passage. God says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. God speaking through Moses, He goes on and says, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution and let every skillful craftsman come and make all that the Lord has. You see, whether through time, talent or treasure, everyone in Israel had a role to play in building God's house. God did not want Israel to contribute out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of delight. How many of us know those are two very different things? If you're following Jesus based upon duty right now, then I pray that in this moment, in this service, the Spirit of God would liberate you and you would come in to God's covenant of grace and move from duty to delight. If you follow Jesus out of I have to rather than I get to, I'm telling you, you haven't experienced the fullness and abundance of life that Jesus came to give you. I'm not doing what I'm doing, answering the call of God uh, and, and being a part of God's house and giving into this offering today out of I have to because of my role or because of people's expectations. I'm doing it because it's an act of worship. It's a delight. It, it's what it means behind 2 Corinthians 9-7 where God loves a cheerful giver. That means there's no reluctance but a joy-filled willingness. Is there a joy-filled willingness to following Jesus in your life? Or do you often feel condemned by the lies of the enemy? Feel condemned by what you've experienced or things you wish you had have done or hadn't have done that you had done or that you haven't done that you wish you had have done. I wanna tell you, that's the devil is a liar. God doesn't want you to live under the shame and condemnation of your pain and sin in your past. You can be restored through that. You can be reconciled back to God and you can live a life of delight and you can live a life of I get to rather than I have to. You see, what's invisible in the spirit realm always becomes visible in the natural realm through our generous partnership, through our faith-filled obedience. I think this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said to King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You see, he was not only acknowledging the source of the vision, that the vision was from heaven, it was from the Spirit of God, not him, but he was acknowledging his role in the fulfilment of that vision. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God and, and sort of say, yeah, thanks for the vision, but I sort of had a better idea. I want to stand before God and say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision that you placed upon my life and my family, that we were not disobedient. I'm going to have to give an account for how I've stewarded the leadership of this house. I'm going to have to give an account for your soul. That's why the Bible says that, that, you know, let your leaders do their job of oversight without groaning because we're watching over your soul. Sometimes in leadership, let's be honest, there's a little bit of groaning. 
because sometimes there's challenges and things to work through. I'm going to have to give an account for not just how I've led you, but how we as a team and as a church have watched over your soul. But you have an equal partnership in that, in what you bring in your own walk with God and in your spirit and in your honouring of how God has called you to partner with His purposes through this house. It is a tag team. It's a partnership. It's a body of Christ where each member comes together to fulfil that which is in God's heart. You see, God's original vision for the Garden of Eden was not, it to, was not for it to stay contained. It was so that it would spread and expand across the planet. After all, why would he put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it, to cultivate it, to develop it in order to produce more fruit? His purpose was that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God's spirit and lordship in that Garden of Eden would expand across the earth. And just because the fall happened doesn't mean that the vision changed. The prophet Habakkuk says, the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you and I are called into partnership with that vision. Every single believer in this room is now dwelling within them the kingdom of God. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. And wherever you and I go, we carry the kingdom, the rule and reign of Lord, the Lordship of Christ with us. And we've been given a great commission to go into all the world and build God a bigger family to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to restore sons and daughters back to the heart of God. And one of the ways that God has chosen for that vision to become reality is through our generosity. And generosity is essentially an issue of the heart. The Bible says in response to this call out for God's people to be a part of the contribution, the Bible says in verse 21, they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and they brought, note this, the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, its service, and for the holy garments. Now just bear with me for a moment, because if you were a, a Hebrew and you're, you've just endured generations, about 400 years of slavery and bondage to a foreign nation, and now you're in the middle of the wilderness and you've left Egypt with your hands filled with silver and gold and your pockets overflowing with fine linen and all sorts of garments and you've endured pain and suffering, weeping, anguish and torment and the leader comes and says, now, everyone whose heart's generous, now let's make a contribution to the Lord. You could justify withholding from God. You could justify it as, well, I've been through too much pain. I've been through too much torment. I, I need some things for me. And yet Deuteronomy 8.17, God speaking to God's people, He says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth that He may confirm His covenant. What a powerful passage of Scripture. You see, that tells me the blessing of the Lord has a purpose beyond us. The blessing of the Lord is about God's intentions being established in the earth. 
and I'm a part of that and you're a part of that. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He does care about blessing you even in those God desires that he puts in your heart. But his primary intent is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance and that there would be a manifestation in all of its fullness of the kingdom of God on earth. That more and more of this planet would look more and more like heaven. You see, there are two levels of giving. One level of giving is where we bring the tithe, 10%. And sometimes a very small minority of believers have some challenges and issues with the whole concept of tithing. And we sort of consult Dr. Google and watch documentaries on TV. And we draw theology from popular culture. Can I tell you, here at Numa Church, we don't build our theology based upon what media says, what Netflix documentary says, or what Dr. Google says. We build our theology on what God's Word says, because God's Word is our foundation. And so whenever there's an issue around these sorts of things, you've got to take it up with God because He's the one who's instituted it and we want to get on His page and not get on someone else's argument to justify their lack of faith. And so it is so important that we come back and go, okay, pre-cross, Old Testament, what are some of the things that God gave to us as being key commands to follow? And then through the cross, we go, what, what, what of those old covenant commands has God given to us that continues through the cross into the New Testament church? And what are some of those laws and practices that are irrelevant right now? Like you cannot cut your hair. When was the last time you had a haircut? Or you cannot, you know, eat uh, meat with blood in it. When was the last time you had a good old fashioned Aussie barbecue? Uh, there are all sorts of things that we often uphold as being, you know, this is what it says. But through the cross, things change and some things continue. And what continues is bringing God the time into God's house. But then in the New Testament, as much as the Old Testament, we discover that there is a second level of giving, which is offerings. This is to give over and above as the Spirit leads. And when the Spirit leads us to give, we go through stages of giving, sometimes a little bit like you go through the stages of grief. Did you know that there were stages to the grieving process? And some people apply stages of grief to stages of giving. And, and sometimes it can feel like that, but that's not God's intention. And so what happens is we pray as we've been asking God in our house, God, what do you want us to give into this vision offering? And God lays a figure on our hearts and we begin to pray into that. And there's excitement around that. Why? It's an adventure of faith. We're about to step out of the boat. Very exciting. And then comes the freak out moment where your flesh starts to freak out on what God's put upon your heart. And then you start to rationalise and logic it out and say, you know what? That's just bad pizza I ate last night. And I must have had really cheap curry last night because I'm thinking crazy thoughts. I can't do that. What I've got to do is actually logicalize this out. That's not a word, but it is today. And I've got to rationalise and I've got to bring this all the way down to my natural understanding. And this is where doubt creeps in. We begin to doubt what God has given to us. But when you stop that momentum, that train in its tracks, and you go back to the original word, faith returns. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as you step out and give, you move into supernatural territory. 
It's happened over and over and over again in my life. And there are many, many people in our church where the testimonies of breakthrough and all sorts of amazing things have happened as they have given as the Spirit leads. Sometimes some of us give enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to transform our hearts. Let's just let that truth just marinate on our brains and our hearts for a moment. Sometimes we give out of guilt to ease our conscience like we're giving to charity rather than giving for Jesus to live and breathe and transform us into his image. Sacrificial giving is less about the need and more about our growth in Christ-likeness. God doesn't need our charity. He wants our hearts. Why? Because your heart and my heart is the epicenter where the springs of life issue from. That's why in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our finances is a litmus test of the condition of our hearts. And growing in generosity is what it means to become more like Jesus. You are never more like God than when you give. Why? Because the nature of God is love. 1 John tells us God is love. What is love? The nature of love is to give and share of itself. So when we live a lifestyle of sacrificial generosity, we are reflecting our heavenly Father. We are partnering with the power of the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now, every parent in this room knows you don't need to teach your children to be selfish. Has any parents discovered that? Any school teachers discovered that? You don't need to teach your kids to say no and to just withhold and not share. I remember we were in a phase with Zach when he was uh, an infant, a toddler, where, you know, we'd go meet someone new or even family members and, uh, and it'd be like, say hello, be nice. And the next thing is chompers would come out and he'd bite them. And we're like, what manner of sorcery is this? He must take after his mother. And so it's like, what, where has this come through the generational line, right? And everywhere we go, he's biting this and biting that. You don't, you know, I did, I did not, Sim may have taught him, I did not teach him to do that. And so, I'm in the doghouse tonight, by the way. And so then Joshua comes along and Joshua's, you know, tolerant. And now we buy him fries and we buy him chips and nuggets at the restaurant and the cafe. And now, can, can dad have a chip? And it's like, no, no, no. Who do you think you are? I invented these chips and I invented these nuggets. These are all for me. And so we realised pretty soon, we're going to have to teach these kids generosity. So I introduced a daddy tax, like a GST. And so I'm like, okay, every meal, I'm going to teach this kid. As for me and my house, he's going to share his fries. And so we're there. I want the fries more, but I oh, we're there, and, and I'm saying, okay, daddy's gonna take a chip. And it's like he would look at me like I was, you know, from another kingdom, and, and like he was gonna destroy me. But over time, his heart began to change and transform as we cast that wickedness out of him. All right. The principle is you don't have to teach a child to be selfish because it's inherent in their fallen DNA. We may have been born selfish 
but you are born again generous by the power of the name of Jesus. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives and breathes inside of you. And he's incredibly generous. He wants you to experience the fullness and abundance of life that Jesus has come to give you. He's always looking to do good on your behalf. He's not angry with you. He wants to do something that that you could not do in your own strength. And so if we as believers are actually struggling with generosity, maybe one of two things. One, we're actually resisting the work of the Spirit in our life. Or secondly, we still think we're the Lord of our lives rather than Jesus. Is this helping anyone today? When we give with a generous heart, God supplies more than enough for the vision. He's not looking for one person to carry it all. He's looking for his people to carry his heart. The Bible says the most amazing thing happens in Israel. Chapter 36, verse five, the Bible says, the craftsman came and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. Now just see what's happening here. The response of generosity was so great that people had to be restrained from giving. I don't know about you, but this has got to be the first time this has ever happened. And this passage, I read this passage as a kid. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to be a part of a church one day where I had to get up and tell my, at that time I was a kid, it was like mum and dad had to get up and tell the church, everybody stop giving. That would be different. You haven't been in a church that's ever said that. Everybody stop. Let's restrain everyone. Keep it in your pocket. Why? Because there is more than enough for the need and the vision that God has given to us. Could it be, I declare prophetically a day over the next 30 years where God would come to us and say that people bring more than enough for everything that I've called them to. Restrain them, stop them from giving. You see, you can only live in that sort of space when you realise we worship the God of more than enough, not just enough. So many people, their picture of God is just get by just enough in every area of their life rather than know I'm in relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which doesn't mean just those thousand hills. It's a picture of a bigger idea that we have a God who is bigger than our comprehension. So don't look through a keyhole and draw wrong conclusions about who God is, but ask God to lift your vision, expand your understanding, get an awareness of the revelation of who He is. Because when our picture of God is too small, we limit what God wants to do through us. It's our revelation of who God is that will determine how we respond when He asks us. If you ever think that God's withholding from you, no wonder then that sometimes we'll withhold from God. Because we feel like we can't trust Him. But He is the God that 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you and I may abound in every good work. I did a study on that word all in the Greek. It really means all, all. He is a God of more than enough. And so today, 
all across this room, what a privilege we have to play a part. Whether small, whether great, the little boy with the loaves and fishes was as much a part of the miracle as the disciples who brought those loaves and fishes to Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.